Hockey Flow. I'm pleased to share it with Marco D'Amico and Adam Boucher. You can find Adam Boucher at ReallyAdamB on Twitter. Of course, Marco D'Amico can be found at ScrimmageStats.com and at The Hockey Expert. I'm AJ Cordero. Let's get right into it. We have a blockbuster trade. I don't want to waste another second. Marco, let's walk, uh, walk us all through this. There's a lot to unpack here. Well... I mean, the Winnipeg Jets traded uh, Patrick Liney and Jack Rosalick, uh to the Columbus Blue Jackets for Pierre-Luc Dubois in the third round pick. Uh, now, everybody kind of looking at the situation is going to be like, oh, well, you know, uh, there's another uh, star that Columbus gets rid of or that, that leaves uh, because they don't want to play in that market. Um, you just left the American Ohio for the Canadian Ohio. Thumbs up to you, Pierre-Luc. That's definitely a bigger market right there. Um, I, looking at this from a value perspective, like I know that people aren't very high on Patrick Liney because they think that he's somehow plateaued whilst Pierre-Luc Dubois has this infinite potential. Um, but I feel like Patrick Liney's worst, like Patrick Liney's worst season was still better than Pierre-Luc Dubois' best season playing next to Artemi Panarin. Like, I understand there's a positional bias because the center is always better, but I sincerely, sincerely doubt that a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois will be able to reach new offensive levels on the Winnipeg Jets playing second-line minutes unless he's stapled to that first power play unit. That is the only way I see him getting a consistent 65 to 70 points. Absence of that and, and the preferential usage that he was getting in, 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 in Columbus, almost 70% offensive zone starts. I, I think that we're going to see Pierre-Luc Dubois kind of morph into what Ryan Kessler became when he went to Vancouver. Well, as, as he developed, sorry, in Vancouver. And then when he went to the, uh, to the Anaheim Ducks, and that would be that kind of elite number two center. Uh, I think that's where Pierre-Luc Dubois kind of falls in. Um, but I honestly think that Patrick Liney is an elite number one scoring winger, possibly even top 10 at his position. I don't think that Dubois is top 10 at his position. I don't even think he's top 20 at his position. But ultimately, A, recency bias, P, uh, B, positional bias, and then C, uh, all the chitter-chatter that's been going on uh, recently in regards to those two players. So I think, this is, I think that this is a good change of scenery for both. Um, obviously Pierre-Luc Dubois' father works for the Winnipeg Jets organization. So you saw that coming a mile away. Uh, Jarmo Kekalainen knows Patrick Liney quite well, and I'm not being lazy about it saying, Hey, they're both Finnish. Uh, they, they actually do go a little way back, uh, from a scouting perspective. So if there's somebody that's not afraid of the supposed Patrick Liney, uh, attitude problems, uh, then it's definitely going to be Jarmo Kekalainen. Uh, I don't, I don't know about you, Adam, personally, I think the best pure talent went Columbus's way. I think the best possible fit went Winnipeg's way. That's the thing. Um, I, I think without a doubt, um, Columbus got the better player. Like, Liney's just a natural goal scorer. He scored over over 30 and over goals for, for all of his season, except last season where he still got close to a point per and he was and like he was, he was close pace. to a point per game when the season stopped. Um, the only issue is I don't see where Columbus is getting there. Like they don't have any center depth. They have Texier at the moment, and they have Domi, who already doesn't really gel with Do uh, with uh, Tortorella, the, the head coach. So we'll see where that leads. Uh, in terms of fitting into an organization, I feel like. Winnipeg got the best deal also because Dubois has two years left on his deal. Um, also, the fact he's going to be playing behind Shifley is just like the one-two punch they, they tried to get in, in going back to get uh, Stashny, right? And that's if they, they're able to resign him past the two-year deadline he has right now, he, they might have to push Perfetti to the wing or something like that. So I, I really like what, what it brings to Winnipeg. Um, but without a doubt, Columbus got the best player. And as you said, Marco, Line has a way higher ceiling than, than what Dubois can bring to the Jets. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I feel like ultimately 
if you look at the way that this is being played out, uh, a lot of people are like positioning Pierre-Luc Dubois as can't miss first line center. <laughs> man, oh man. Like, I, I, again, I keep telling people this it, it, and it, it, it breeds to that notion. People are extremely, are, are, are overrating Pierre-Luc Dubois and people are severely underrating Patrick Liney. If Patrick Liney, you know, and this isn't just Patrick Liney that's mentioned this, we've heard this before, that the Blake Wheeler, Mark Shifley combo in the dressing room is a very demanding combo. Uh, and, and therefore, it takes a certain kind of player to gel with them. Like, this isn't a roster right now that, in my opinion, competes for the Stanley Cup. I'm sorry. And, and when you make a trade like that, like, I understand where Winnipeg was, but trading Liney for anything short of a top pair right defenseman, in my opinion, was a missed opportunity. Uh, their right D right now is DeMello, Pionk, and Bollier, from what I from what I saw yesterday. Um, that's 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 a problem. Like that's that's a massive, massive problem. And I don't understand how you go about a trade with the Columbus Blue Jackets and you don't try like you don't try to find some way of extracting a you know a competent right D out of that team. Like to me, it just makes sense. So that left me confused because uh, I don't I didn't feel like center was an issue. I thought they had their top six centers uh, with Stasny there and, and then the trade that they went to get considering his cap hit. Um, but again, I mean, I think it's going to serve them long-term, but the issue with this team still pertains to their defense. I feel like they have, if not the worst defense, uh, they have the second worst defense. It's pretty much a toss up for me, uh, between the Ottawa senators and, and the Winnipeg jets. Uh, the difference is the Winnipeg jets now have a really very formidable top six, which is great. Uh, power to them. And you mentioned Cole Perfetti. I mean, I, I really... I don't think Cole Perfetti is going to be a center in the NHL. I think Cole Perfetti is going to be a left wing, ultimately. Uh, and I think we we kind of got a glimpse of that at the World Juniors. Uh, so I think it fits in well with where this team is going. Uh, Connor's locked up long-term. Shifley still has, I think, four years left on his deal. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think this is a deal that was made uh, without the notion of futures because the clock is ticking for Blake Wheeler. I think Blake Wheeler is in a position where he wants to win in the next two years and they needed to get a top asset now. So Pierre-Luc Dubois makes sense on that end. Uh, and it gives them one of the deeper, uh, if not the deepest center line in the league. But again, the deepest center line in the league can't always save you. Unless, of course, your goalie is playing, you know, Vesna level in the playoffs, in which case, all right, we, we've seen that happen before with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, where it's their center depth and a really hot goalie that leads them to the cup. But that's an exception. That's not the rule. That's an exception. So you got to be extremely careful. And I feel like Shovel Dayoff right now is playing with fire. Um, there's, to me, if he's going to go for it, he's going to have to sacrifice significant assets uh, near trade deadline to improve that defense because that is virtually the same defense that got absolutely ripped apart by the Calgary Flames in the playoffs in August. So if, if you're going to go anywhere and, and, and again, the Calgary Flames were not firing on all cylinders, then they are now. Uh, so it's definitely something to, to keep in mind personally. Um, you know, you talk about centers in Columbus. I think they're going to give Jack Roslovich a try at center. I think we're going to, they're going to try and see if they can develop him into a top six center because you mentioned Tessier. I think Tessier is probably going to be another one. And I think, you know, with Domi there, I think they might have, you know, three de facto centers without one necessarily being labeled a number one. I think that's the way they're going to go in Columbus. And I would, you know, also keep an eye out for, for uh, Liam Foody, who could potentially also slot in at center. So intriguing trade. Uh, confusing trade from a needs perspective for both teams, but ultimately this is what we enjoy. We're not going to see probably many blockbuster trades this year, considering the COVID restrictions and the, and the border issues. 
Uh, but this is definitely a and one to interesting note is that they actually swapped. So from it's from the 2016 or 15 draft. So number two and number three swapping. Yeah. So swapping number two and number three. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty interesting as well. Yeah, exactly. And I, again, that draft is so, so insane because you, th you think about how it was supposed to play out. Pierre-Luc Dubois was up until draft day ranked fifth. And then ultimately, uh, surprise, surprise, the Blue Jackets uh, select him fourth overall. So uh, third overall, sorry. So I, I find that really intriguing uh, that ultimately now they've been traded for each other. Uh, so it, it's, it's interesting. But end of day, uh, I still feel like Liney lived up to his draft pedigree. I still don't think, and I, I continue to say it, Pierre-Luc Dubois to me, has a lot to prove to the hockey world that that the playoffs weren't just a gimme, right? Like that him taking complete advantage of Toronto wasn't isn't going to make his career, isn't going to or isn't not going to make his career. But the way he started this season, obviously wanting out from Columbus and and playing the way he did, and the way he's going to be used in Winnipeg, I just I don't think I think people are might be a little underwhelmed from a points perspective of what he's going to bring. Let me ask you both. I know it's early, but do you think either of these players stayed with these teams? That's a question. I. That's what exactly what I'm wondering. Like, like because I mean, like, you think about this. It just. I mean, Liney seemed to want this move to play with better players, right? And then you look at the other side, and you look at Dubois. He wanted a bigger stage, and Winnipeg is not that. So I don't. I don't see how either of these fit the puzzle. It seems like this trade was extremely. It, it's like high risk, high ri uh, low reward for both teams. And they're putting their eggs in the basket of Rosovich, who has that uh, that Ohio connection, obviously. But how much can that play up, really, for the team? Well, with Dubois, he's a restricted free agent. Well, he has two years left on his deal, and then he's still an RFA for two more years after that. So Winnipeg has the control there, uh, you know, pretty adamantly. And the same applies with Liney. I mean, they're the same age. Give her, I think Liney is a, an, uh, a late-born and then Pierre-Luc Dubois was born in June of, of his draft year. So there may be a next, uh, you know, liney mate. Oh, no, they start the same time. So they're both uh, restricted free agents till they're uh, 25 and 26, respectively. So Liney starts one year earlier because he started in the league at 18. That being said, Liney at 25, he's 22 now. His deal comes to, uh, to an end this year. And he's still an RFA with arbitrary rights. So he can't, he won't be targeted for an offer sheet. So if Columbus wants to throw big money at Patrick Liney to be the cornerstone of the franchise, they can. And I think they will. I think they honestly will because the way that their cap structure is right now, Wierenski, Dubois, who was just traded, Wierenski, Domi, um, um, Seth Jones, these are all contracts that are coming up in two years or, or not two years next season at the end of next season, all of these contracts I just listed on top of Merzlikens uh, as well are all ending. So Columbus as a franchise is going to have to make a choice and they need a cornerstone. So if you're going to overpay for a guy and pay Patrick Liney, what he wants the $9 million for the next eight years, say uh, then you're Columbus, you do that. Like this isn't a Jeff Skinner situation where he had one good year and you're stuck because you don't want to be you you don't want to look like the team that can't retain top talent. Uh, this is Patrick Liney. Like he he will produce regardless of who his center is because he has produced regardless of who his center is. That it be Shifley, uh, that it be Eakins, uh, that it be Little, uh, that it be Perot. Like it it didn't it it didn't matter in Winnipeg, right? He still was able to put up thirty goals. So all I say to to when it comes to Liney is I wouldn't count him out. And when it comes to Dubois, um, honestly, I think it's going to be, can, how are they going to work him in the cap structure? I think that'll be it. And it'll be telling because they have a few big contracts coming up in two, three years time. So that'll be, that'll be interesting to see. So let me ask you uh, again, the other big question mark that was often bandied about everywhere in every internet forum. And that is, What's that relationship between Liney and Torts going to look like? 
Wow, that's that's the question. I can't wait. To, like, I can't wait to, to actually see it. Um, look, I think apparently they exchanged texts or they talked on over the phone, and Liney said he was he, he was excited to start and play for for John Tortorella and and the Blue Jackets. So I don't know what I don't know what it's what's gonna happen, but it's for sure gonna be interesting because we know Liney can go off the grid for like five games and come back and score five and one. So I don't know what Marco thinks, but it's definitely going to be interesting. People assume that Liney is difficult to, 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 to play with or to work with because he didn't get along with the extremely demanding core and a very old school coach in Winnipeg. Like even Winnipeg fans have an issue with Paul Maurice. Imagine the players like this isn't, the first time like other players have come out and said ah paul maurice uh other players and 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 other uh people around the league have mentioned how difficult it is to play the the mark shifley and blake wheeler way because they're a little they're 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 over the top intense maybe a guy like kyle connor is a better fit for them than a patrick liney but that doesn't mean that he'd be less equipped to work with a guy like john tortorella because ultimately what john tortorella wants is the the best performance out of his players. The reason why we have seen an individual like John Tortorella consistently drive out players is because those players don't have the fortitude that many fans think they do. Like we, we look at the Pierre-Luc Dubois situation, right? Like we, we, that's the most, um, uh, I guess, striking thing in our head. Why did Tortorella yell at Pierre-Luc Dubois the way that he did? Because Pierre-Luc Dubois was having a, very very inconsistent set of games at the beginning of that series with Toronto and as your number one center you expect more out of him so naturally he's a coach that's going to be fired up he's a vocal coach and teams in the uh, fans in the NHL just don't like him because of his sound bites and, and the way that he is disrespectful but I don't think that he and a bunch of other players that he's had in the past coming out and saying he's a player's coach, like this isn't a Mike Babcock situation. This is a guy who will give it to you straight every single time. He won't turn around and then play games with you after, you know. It reminds me of like his situation with Pernarin, right? Like there's like... You get like during the trade deadline, I remember that you're like Panarin, oh, Panarin's out of lineup. What's wrong with him? He shit his pants. Like... He's never going to lie to you. He's going to tell you the truth, right? So it's it's not a question of being disrespectful towards the players. He's a player's coach. I'm not going to sit here and defend Torts. I think that sometimes he can put his foot in his mouth. But for anyone to be like, what's the relationship between Liney? And I would be more worried about the relationship between Max Domi and Tortorella because Max Domi takes like weeks off. Patrick Liney may take like half a period off and just needs to be whipped back into shape. Like, it's totally okay. It's just in how you go about doing it. But the way that the Winnipeg Jets are being made to sound right now, especially in Finland, is that they have a very tight-knit kind of expectation of what they want everybody to play with. And if you don't fit that mold, you don't fit. Uh, and that's, you know, Patrick Liney, you could say what you want about him, but he's a player that's greatly improved, that's become more and more coachable over the years. And I honestly... Like, I didn't even think without Patrick Liney, Winnipeg wouldn't even have won their first game of the season, right? Like, it's he was the guy, which goes to show you that when healthy and when ready to play and when motivated, he he can be a top player in this it's league. It's a game so breaker for, me, for sure. Again, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. People are sleeping on Patrick Liney. No, hey, this good guy could be a 40, 50 goal scorer per season, right? Like, this, yeah, uh, with the right center, he could be a 40 goal, 40 goal scorer year in, year out. No, that's the issue for Columbus. That's the only thing. They need to go out. They need to, to find their top center. Or even Texi, it might be for this year. Like, who knows? Um, but We'll have to yeah. see. I just think Jarmo uh, Kekalainen is the, the real winner in all of this, right? We, we like the, the GM here, right? Like, this is perfect. Within three years, this is a major move for Columbus, right? Patrick Liney asked, Patrick Liney asked for a trade four months even ago. Even Roslovic, so... Yeah, and Roslovich was at home. Yeah. You know, and he was able to trade both for Pat, uh, for Pierre-Luc Dubois. That's not bad value. We've seen a lot of star players get traded for far less. They both got quali- uh, quality for quality here. It's very rare. Usually, 
when you trade quality, you're going to be taking on quantity in futures. And they got two players that are still growing into their game, 22 years old or 23 years old in Liney's case, I think now. Um, and they're not done. They're, they haven't reached their, in my opinion, I think they're right there. They're on the cusp of it, but they haven't reached their prime. So for me, a guy like Patrick Liney has more offensive upside than a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois. Pierre-Luc Dubois has the intangibles. He has the positional bias. Um, and he's probably going to play in the system the best exemplifies his style in Winnipeg. Uh, but I feel like Patrick Liney could have the most amount of overall impact offensively. So if you can, if, if a GM that has an asset that wants to leave and has publicly said that he wants to leave uh, and is able to extract that, I think both GMs made out very well because it could have been disastrous for both franchises. It's an interesting point. I mean, it's really like a question of like, what do you need up front right now versus what you need for the future? And that it is it's that I mean, obviously this is a futures game at the best in this market. So yeah. good luck to them both because obviously we root for the best because that's the right way we have the best hockey, right? So uh shall we now move on to the recap of the NHL action this week? Sure. Awesome. So uh hockey was played, if you didn't know, and it's awesome. Uh because the Canadians are currently up. Thank you, Canadians. Go Habs go. Uh but also uh Vegas is leading in Honda West. Uh Mass Mutual East is has all caps and of course Discover Central Go Bolts. Uh where do you want to start with uh Adam? What do you want to take? What's the first division you want to look at? Let's um I mean let's first look at North. So you you mentioned North Division, let's start with ours. Yeah, you, yeah, so you mentioned baby. that the Habs are up. Uh, still haven't lost a game in, in regulation. I'll knock on wood not to jinx it, but 4-0-2, uh, and two, uh, 10 points. They're actually tied for with uh, Toronto on this one. Uh, Toronto, five wins, two losses. Um, yeah, for me, I, like I said it last time, uh, the series against Vancouver was, was going to be my the thing I was looking forward for week two, and the Habs went 2-1. and one. Um so I was very impressed that they continued on their streak again, that they had against Edmonton. And we even saw, for me, the surprise was, was kind of Winnipeg. We, we kept bashing them in, at the start of the episode, but they're, they're sitting third right now at, at um, in the North Division. And they have one game in hand uh, on, Van, on Edmonton and two games on Vancouver. So, Marco, what do you have in mind for this one? Well, I mean, we could talk about the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, I mean, they, yeah. I mean, they they well outplayed the Edmonton Oilers. Um, I felt like they outplayed the Vancouver Canucks in every single game, uh, but essentially were their worst their their worst enemy uh, in the first of the two uh, of the three meetings because they just kept getting penalties. Um, but after game two and game three, you felt the adjustment, and yeah, it just. It, sem- it seemed like they just had control at all times, especially at five on five. So it was really fun to see. Uh, obviously, I'd like to see them play that way against, you know, a Calgary, uh, a Winnipeg, uh, especially now once the once Dubois comes into the lineup, um, and Toronto on a more consistent basis. Uh, you know, it's it's easy to see. Uh, you know, like for example, Winnipeg. Uh, I believe has six has eight points, six of which came from beating Ottawa three times. So like it happens. I feel like, you know, we, we have our, our early season, like shock moments, like Ottawa beating, uh, beating Toronto, Toronto yeah. for example. And everyone just being like, Oh my God, maybe they can make the play. No, no, they cannot. And they, they will not. And I'm so sorry, Ottawa fans. But Owen Power is going to look good on your blue line. So let's not worry about that. What I am worried about personally is are we seeing early signs of teams already starting to just, you know, miss their shot right out of the gate? Or is it just teams with, you know, better potential that are just sleeping right now and whose veterans really haven't gotten the flow of things yet? Because that's something to consider. There was no training camp. There's a lot of sloppy hockey going on. But then again, that means that there's a lot of open hockey going on. And you have situations like, you know, uh, Toronto versus Winnipeg or even last night where you had uh, the Canucks versus the Oilers going, uh, sorry, the Canucks versus the Sens going 7-1. It's just out of nowhere, right? So it makes for exciting hockey. It makes for a lot of goals. Um, 
the one thing that I will say that impresses me the most about the North Division is the overall lack of a dominant team overall. I feel like every team has something. Superstar back end, superstar forwards, a superstar goalie, or in Montreal's case, just depth. Just just elite depth. Um, so either way, so like every team brings something different, right? It's not it's not a, a copy paste in, in most of those situations. So I feel like parity is strong within that division outside of Ottawa because you're just you never know what you're going to get. And and to a degree, even Ottawa, you never know what you're going to get. It could be Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, but if you look at other divisions like that East division, the 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 you know reformatted metro division as we call it, that is the division of death, in my opinion. Um, and so I, I find that a little bit harder to look at. Like for me, one of the bigger stories, like if we, if we jump off and go to another division is that specifically, and, and looking at, you know, some players that are really just exploding at the right time. We talked Jack about Hughes. it a little bit last week, but Jack Hughes wow. has, wow. He's, he, he's arrived. Uh, unfortunately, and maybe he can take a little bit of, um, solace looking at jack hughes doing so well in his sophomore year but alexi lafreniere still does not have a point uh what is he at game six yeah it, they're five yeah, games in six games in, without a point five games five yeah. games in yeah but five games in still without a point minus two. I'm, i have to defend lafreniere on, on this one because david quinn wow he juggles his lines like it feels every period like Michelle Terrier? It's, I think it's worst. I, it's wow. I, I I don't have any words for that. It's he keeps messing up his lines and like how how can you get chemistry on when your coach keeps switching up the lines, right? Especially for a young player Absolutely. coming into the league, like it's it's so weird. And and we to stick on the Rangers, we saw like D'Angelo dominating last year, getting points on the power play and stuff, and now he's being taxi squatted. So. It's um it's a weird start to this season for the Rangers. Hopefully they pick it up, but they're sitting at one, three, and one in five games, three points. Uh, yeah, definitely not looking pretty for that one. Yeah, no. And definitely not. They're uh it's yeah, yeah. it's it's a bad look to start the season. But if if we jump if we stay in the same division, actually, I'm most impressed by Washington who They've been missing like what they're three players of the top six because of COVID uh, policies and and suspensions, and they're still like mm. even Samsonov didn't he get COVID? They're, yeah, they're, yeah, like, no, they're running Samsonov, with Ovechkin, oh, Samsonov, Ovechkin, Orlov. Kuznetsov, Orlov, yeah. and they're still sitting first with nine points. Like they're missing a bunch of star players. They're running with a backup goaltender who we didn't even know about before the season started or wasn't in the plans at, at least. So that's, that's very impressive for, for Washington. Yeah, no, definitely. I feel like the, you know, it's fun for me. It's fun to watch Buffalo Sabres fans uh, continue to suffer this season. Um, it was funny when they signed Hall and thought they were going to make the playoffs, but again, there's still an opportunity. They have five points in six games, but, Again, uh, I feel like defense and goaltending is always going to cost them no matter how much better their forwards get. I just feel like they don't have the right pieces on the back end. Um, we can talk about Boston as well because Boston is, in theory, fighting or, or chasing that that last spot available for the playoffs already. Um, and this without Pasternak in their lineup. So I, I find, you know, I stood, I, I stood by them. I thought that, you know, they would kind of be in that mix uh, so it's fun to see them not, you know, start and falter. But then again, if you have the Sabres and the Rangers in your division, you're probably not going to falter. And um, even Philly. We can definitely look at the other ones. Well, Philly, like, Philly to me is, Philly to me is, uh, yeah, this is, this is a team that lost their, one of their top four right defensemen and just didn't replace him. I have an issue with that. I take serious issue with that because they had all the cap space in the world to do so because Niskanen's entire cap hit just came off their books. So to me, they had a, they had ample opportunity to take advantage of the market that was the market 
and and maybe go and get a guy, for example, like Ryan Murray, who's been nothing but solid for the New Jersey Devils on their top four. He's made Subban look good. He did. <laughs> There's yeah. only two defensemen in the NHL that, or three defensemen in the NHL that could say that. Roman Yossi, Andre Markov, and now Ryan Murray. So kudos to him. He's playing excellent hockey now that he's healthy. Um, I would have liked to see the Flyers make that kind of a trade. I don't think that Eric Gustafson uh, was anywhere near what they would have needed. Um, but again, this is it's it's my view on the team, but uh, I feel like New Jersey made the right moves this summer and the Philadelphia Flyers did not. And sticking on the, the Devils uh, team, like I want to give an honorable mention to Ty Smith, who's... Um, wasn't really talked about before the season started and now he's leading uh, the rookies in assists so he has five and yeah all secondary he's still leading the team in points on defensemen if i'm not mistaken yeah so that's very impress- impressive so far and he's playing close to 20 minutes a game which is pretty good yeah absolutely. given that Subban plays he's 30 playing solid defensively yeah, yeah absolutely and he's uh what i what i enjoy about ty smith is that he It's not so much the points. I feel like the points will come because he's that he's similarly to to Quinn Hughes. He's a guy that likes to hold on to that puck and distribute it at the right time that leads to a scoring chance. And that's why he gets his points. Um, obviously, he's had some fortuitous bounces like his first goal. Um, but it's more the defensive aspect that I feel is 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 more applaudable. I'm 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 you know, if he's if it's all secondary assists, I don't I don't tend to take a look at that. But when you look at how he's playing defensively, how sound he is. You understand now why the, why the New Jersey Devils sent him back to the WHL two years in a row because he was able to mature that game. He already had the offense. He could have played in the NHL at 18 and brought offense, but now he is a far more complete player. And I feel like that is, is indicative uh, right now, especially with what we're seeing in, in New Jersey. So kudos to them. Um. I feel like we can move to my second biggest surprise so far this season uh, as we move into the Honda West division. And that, good sirs, would be the Minnesota Wild. Kaprizov. Um, Kaprizov. Yeah. yeah, amongst others, Kaprizov obviously has done very well. Uh, I thought that he was excellent his first week. I feel like he's kind of, I wouldn't say slowed down, but I feel like he's just slowly getting his rhythm now. Um, but definitely, you know, if you look at that team and you, and you look at their points distribution, uh, a player that has really kind of come out right out of the gate that I was not necessarily expecting is Joel Eriksson Ek, whom many saw as maybe topping out as a top, you know, a number two, you know, three center, maybe number two on a good day, uh, already five points in six games. So kudos to him. Uh, obviously Zach Parise, Ryan Suter are there as well. Uh, Jordan Greenway has been excellent for them. And obviously uh, my pick for the Calder at the beginning of the season, Kirill Kaprizov. Fantastic. I think they're going to, they still have their work cut out for them in that division. Um, I feel like a lot of teams or a lot of people were already counting out the San Jose Sharks and the Sharks are still in it, uh, which I find to be very fun because in theory, Colorado, LA, Anaheim, and San Jose. Same division. All six points in six games, yeah. guys. All of them. There's no tighter than that. Even Arizona the at five. Fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. And Arizona at five. And again, Vegas has 10. Minnesota has eight. St. Louis has seven. All of them have played six games. There is not a tighter division right now than this. Like Minnesota and Van- and Vegas are kind of okay. But then you just have St. Louis, Colorado, LA, Anaheim, San Jose, and Arizona separated by two points. And that's pretty e- wild. Even so like my favorite division. Colorado hasn't like they haven't looked as good as we, we saw them last season, right? They're they're sitting at three and three in six games. Like we all thought they would dominate that division with Vegas, right? And at the moment they're yep. not. Absolutely. Like given they had injuries, they had Birakovsky going down, they they still haven't gotten Frank Kuz back. Um so it's uh, 
it's for sure going to be like it's going to be an interesting division because one of the teams we didn't expect is going to slip into the playoff picture for sure. And as of now, it's it's Minnesota. So. Can we get another one? Who knows? Ellie, even Ellie's been looking pretty good. Uh, we saw Jeff Carter. I think he's a point per game as of now. Mm-hmm. And who yep. knows? Even uh, actually, Kopitar is leading the league in points with 10 points. Yeah, he's he, he's tied with with the exactly. He's leading the league in assists with 9. Um but that that I mean I feel like that's that's Anze Kopitar for you like he's just such a monster yeah. uh, on the ice and and I, I ultimately like you're talking about Colorado. Colorado lost to Los Angeles 4-2 uh over the weekend if I remember correctly. Um and Anze Kopitar was a big reason for that just setting up people left and right. And you have to look at this because this is what's impressive about Anze Kopitar this season. He leads the LA Kings with 10 points. The closest next to him is Kempe and Carter with five points each. Like he is he is by far the best player on this team right now. It, it's just not it's not even negotiable. And already the Kopitar has a very good two-way game. Now he just jumped out right at the gate. And I'm I couldn't be happier because if Kopitar is playing his game and Jeff Carter is is somehow some way playing up to his capacity then this is a team that can challenge for a playoff spot and we talked about this during our our our, our playoff uh predictions i i honestly feel like they're going to play spoiler in this division so again this is to me this is by far my most favorite division because it's the one that's probably going to be the tightest at the end of the year now uh obviously the central, central. division has wow. been derailed totally by COVID. Um, so it's going to be a little bit more difficult to talk about this. Um, Columbus and Chicago, uh, Detroit have played six games, but Dallas, Florida, and Carolina are at two and two, two and three and games respectively. Games. Yeah. And unfortunately, this is what's going to happen with COVID, especially in the southern United States. Um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to label things in any way shape or form but i am going to say this uh ultimately they are the division that was the most touched by covid to date uh obviously we can we can look at washington and and their cases but i honestly feel like this is the hardest to call division because there's so many teams that still haven't played all their games yet um you know dallas is undefeated in theory because they've won their two Even games Florida, they've played. So. And the same and the same goes for Florida. Yeah. Exactly. So it's extremely hard to tell. Obviously, Tampa Bay has gone off to a great start, six points in four games. Uh Columbus is there sitting at 500 in second place, but we all know that's going to change. And Chicago standing in, in third. How how is that happening? Yeah. That's yeah. Well, it's it's happening because COVID. three of three of seven teams haven't played six games. So that's that's it. So Ultimately, I think my prediction that Dallas will probably be at the top of that, uh, the top of the uh, the standings is probably going to come to pass, considering who they have to play. Um, but yeah, again, it, it's very hard to discuss anything in regards to that division. So no surprises for me there, except for a certain individual who scored a hat trick yesterday uh, by the name of Pius Sutter. He's done extremely well. Uh, in terms of his overall game, but we saw actual flashes of offense. Uh, and he's the, I believe he's the first player in 50 years now to score three goals in his, like three, his first game to score, he scored three goals. He's, I think it's the first time in 50 years and the first time in 96 years for the Blackhawks. So that's a pretty fun historical tidbit. Uh, thank you, data miners, for that one. Wait, you said first time in how many years? Fifty years in the yeah. league. That the first goal that the first time he scores is a hat trick. Okay, yeah. Not first okay, game. Yeah. First, first time, time he, he scores, scores is yeah, a hat trick. Yeah. Didn't Matthews do and it? Then it, Matthews got four goals, but he was a rookie. Okay, there you go. Therein lies yeah. the difference. But um, so what? What's also intriguing when it comes to, to the Blackhawks is the fact that they're doing this without Doc. They're doing this without Taze. And Kubalik has been okay. So it, it's intriguing to see Patrick Kane kind of take this team on his back 
and make guys like Pius Suter look it's good. It's Kane Island so right I, now. I'm down Kane Island. Yeah. Love That's... it. So that pretty much sums it up in terms of the, our divisional overview. Um, I think maybe we can talk about players that we would like to see do better moving forward. I don't know about you guys or or teams to watch out for. I feel like there's a lot of teams out there that we, we could potentially see being put in upset kind of situation. This is let's, let's be frank. It's 56 games, short calendar. A lot of upsets can happen. So I don't know about you guys, but is there, is there a team that you've been watching that you're just kind of like, mm. I, I, I honestly feel like this team is do is going to do better than what we've seen so far. Yeah. I, well, I have a couple. I'll, I'll go first. If you don't mind Calgary, first of all, Calgary are, are Salim's team. Um, they've, like that's the thing with with the North Division. They only played four games, which is two less than the closest other three teams. Even four less than uh, than Toronto. Uh, three less, sorry, than Toronto and uh, Edmonton, and four less than Vancouver. So I feel they go on the winning streak. They could just jump into the standings and into the playoff picture very quickly. Um, look, we saw Markstrom do very good. We saw. I think it's Anderson on the blue line playing well with uh, Giordano. Um, so I, I think my first one is Calgary. Uh, I would also have like, I mean, the Rangers. They have to re they have to rebound at some point. They have the, they have too much talent to to just stay at the bottom of the standings. Um, I ultimately I see New York, the New York Rangers making the playoffs at the end of the season, and. Yeah, those are my two bounce-back candidates, I would say, for the season. Well, I hope for you that that, that that happens, especially for the Rangers. I feel like a lot of Rangers fans are gearing up for another lottery at this point. But I feel like a team that's going to continue to impress as they continue to play is the San Jose Sharks. I feel like the Sharks are primed to, to just kind of resurge at this point. Uh, and right now... You look at guys uh, that are, are resurging for the San Jose Sharks. Uh, Thomas Hurdle is at the top of that list, obviously. Uh, I can't speak well enough about him. I feel like he's just coming into his own as a number one center at this point. Um, Evander Kane um, has played well enough. Um, Brent Burns, obviously, is back to his, his usual form. And Eric Carlson, although, uh, you know, not as present on the stat sheet uh, has been present on the ice uh, from a, from a five on five perspective. So whenever you have those two guys healthy, you cannot count out the sharks. Um, but obviously it won't be the sharks of old. Um, another team that I think is set to just really just pull themselves out and, and, and really do some damage would be the New York Islanders. Um, they do have a winning record which is, you know, in five games, they've won three, lost two. But I feel like there's yet more dissecting from the part of Barry Trotz to come in that division. They know each other very well. Uh, but I feel like the Islanders maybe, maybe got caught a little bit off guard uh, in their initial games. Um, I know that they have a, a game tonight against the Capitals. That should be interesting. Barry Trotz knows them quite well. Um, so it'll be interesting, interesting to see. And then obviously we've talked about this, but I would I am very interested to see where the Dallas Stars go from here, having to had to start the season with a a COVID breakout and just you know slowly now starting to get into it. I honestly feel like they're going to vault up that division uh, in the Central and 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 really just give Tampa Bay a, a run for their money for the number one spot. And question for you, Marco, like staying on the Dallas Stars topic. What happened to Bishop? Like, is he... I don't even know. <laughs> like, he was their number one goalie. He was the all-star goalie for that team not even a year ago. And now we're just seeing Kadobin getting all the starts. They're not even talking about Bishop. Is he still injured? We don't even know. So that's that's very interesting. Like, can Kudobin bring that team back to the Stanley Cup final? And ultimately topping Tampa Bay in that division. That's going to be very interesting to see. 
I mean, it it, it really is, but at, at the same time, he does the job, right? So you can't really say anything. And plus, this is gravy for a guy like Jake Ettinger, who is who is their heir apparent for number for for number one status. They drafted him in the first round, right? So I feel like with injury comes opportunity. I've always said this, uh, and and so. If if Kudubin needs a backup one night, well, there's Ettinger who can come in and 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 really kind of begin to assert himself in a no pressure situation. So I'm all for it. I feel like they have the depth for it uh, in in Dallas. I feel like right off the bat, Pavelski has been phenomenal. Gurianov has been great. Uh, Heinz has been awesome. Uh, you know, so they can still get a lot of uh, a lot of guys going. And keep in mind. Tyler Sagan is still injured. So this is a team that's shorthanded and still producing. Once they get the reinforcements, watch out. And I feel like that I feel like the theme of this season is just to expect the unexpected. So just continue to enjoy the ride. I feel like this has been exceptional hockey nonetheless so far. Um and I look forward to seeing how these mini series play out as the season continues. And, and that's the thing. I, I feel like the theme for this season is just going to be teams um, jumping up and down the standings just because they're getting like you saw Montreal play three games in four nights. Now they're not playing in yep. like five nights. So are, they're, they're going to be like pushed down the standings just because of the games played and, and you're going to see teams jump back up, jump back down. And just to end, end off for that division, Marco, you said so interesting thing stat for, for San Jose. You saw Brent Burns and Eric Carlson are currently leading uh, all players for time on ice with 28.06 and 27.58 for Carlson. But Carlson is also minus eight in three games. You know, play, and, and, and to, no, in all their games played, actually, minus eight. That's exactly. crazy. And, and that. That doesn't bother me too much because Carlson has always been a special teams guru, in my opinion. I just feel like I don't feel like that team is structured to dominate it five on five. I feel like that team with with the Coutures, with the Hurdles, uh, Meyer. I feel like these are teams that, or at least the San Jose Shark is a team that is predicated on special teams, and so they're going to do extremely well on the power play, but ultimately also excel from time to time at five on five. So again, as you see these two defensemen in the twilights, you know, and I say twilight because it's, you know, I'm the same age as Carlson, but in the twilight of their professional career, right They're they're in their, you know, Carlson is now 30. Um, you know, he's had injury after injury, it's it's going to start weighing. So he may not be as effective defensively, but oh boy, is he going to be effective offensively if given the opportunity. So it speaks to the lack of depth on the Sharks, but ultimately at the end of the day, there's still room for improvement and they're on the right path for that. All right. So uh, some odds and ends before we tag out for the show today. Uh, first of all, we're going to talk about uh, Panarin getting political. Uh, we talked about Panarin just a bit briefly before, but uh, basically there have been some massive protests happening in Russia. We are not going to cover any of the political atmosphere that's happening there because there are way wiser podcasts out there that can cover that much more eloquently and accurately than we can. Uh, but nonetheless, go check that out, and it should be interesting to see how a lot of other Russian players also stood in support with him. From there, uh, NBCSN found out uh, that they're actually getting the shutter because most of the games are going to be pushed to Peacock. I remember U.S. games being on the Outdoor Life Network. I don't know if you guys remember that or versus or versus or uh, all these other versus. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, that's my that's yeah. My oh, that's that's the only reason I did that. I wanted that nostalgia sound effect from Marco. That's all I did yep. uh, because we could all share in the moments of two, uh, NHL 2005. I think it was the lockout edition where they had yeah, the, exactly the versus branding. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah uh, anyway, so good times, good memories. Uh, not the lockout, obviously. We are happy we have hockey. Uh, obviously, we had some fines to hand out to the Capitals. We won't go too much in that because there's that's a uh, kind of self-explanatory at this point. 
uh, people do dumb things and they should get fined for it. And lastly, uh, NWHL. Uh, if you're interested in women's hockey, go and check that, that stuff. It's fabulous. It's taking place from Lake Placid and it's completely free to watch and track on Twitch. Uh, this is exciting stuff. I know I'm going to be actually tuning into a couple of games, uh, checking out the uh, league because this is, why not? Free hockey is awesome and it's good hockey too as well. So uh, go check out the Women's Hockey League. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, any other things before we tag out for the show? I mean, I, I just I would like to state that despite no training camp, I feel like this is really good quality hockey. I feel like, you know, the players, the owners have all taken a solid bite out of their profit margins to allow this game to be played the way it's being played right now. And I feel like we should enjoy that. Um, no matter how well your team is doing, I know Canucks fans are are not very happy with Pedersen and and, 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 you know, like people are looking at Crosby in Pittsburgh and asking why he's not producing more. It's good hockey. And I feel like as we get into March and April, this is going to be quality hockey. So let's everybody be patient. Let's enjoy um, because it's going to be a very unique season uh, and, and one that we'll, we won't forget yet. Yeah. Crosby needs to start producing because he's on my fantasy lineup. But um, <laughs> yeah, other than that, it's going to be an interesting week. I see for the next couple of days, we have like slates of 12, 13 games. And then the next day we have yeah. one or two. So I, I mean, COVID. Yeah. I mean, get, sometimes it's feast, sometimes it's famine. Get ready That's for multiple it games. Is, man. <laughs> sometimes it's just the NHL life. It is as it's so, uh, but it's uh, definitely not uh, famine here on the hockey flow. Get your feasting <laughs> on all the great hockey knowledge that's right here on the show. Of course, I'm really grateful to Adam Boucher at really Adam B on Twitter. And of course, Marco D'Amico can be found at scrimmagesstats.com and at the hockey expert. I'm AJ Cordero. We'll catch you guys next week. Thank you.